You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 188, covering The Sword of Kalos and Our Man Bashir with Brian Lynch. Hi friends, it's us again, and us includes Brian. Brian's Hello, here. Brian. I'm always glad to be included among us. It's uh, it's been a while too. It, it has, has been I, a while. Yeah, I looked on Skype. It had been since like April. Like, has it really been? Yeah. Like well, that? the the only thing I use Skype for is doing this show. No. Well, I've been I've been keeping my Star Trek hand in though. We had a Star Trek day at the bookstore where I work. Oh, oh very nice. Yeah, I, was, I thought you were going to say you had a Star Trek day at uh, at the school where you teach. No, it's... that would have been fun. Well, I mean, that would justify your listening. You're showing your. Uh your kids ds9 it's the right. summer uh, the kids don't go to school in the summer i don't know how they do things oh. in canada but and yet and yet you're still there showing showing <laughs> star trek to nobody yep i'm practicing what, what no. is what is star trek day uh, like what what does that entail at a bookstore well, exactly? it was kind of like a little like side we we had like official pop culture days that we had to do that were like mandated by the corporate office there was ninja turtles day and there was uh uh, you know, uh, there was James Patterson Day, which was the worst. Oh, um, God. But these I mean, are tie-ins I, to, to I, like, things that are going on right now. Exactly. So that makes but sense. in the case of Star Trek, there was a guy that wrote this book, uh, Fun with Kirk and Spock, uh, which is oh, sure. phenomenal. Oh, I saw you tweeting it's, about that not too long ago. That looked a lot like, like a lot of fun. It's, yeah, we got it's a copy hilarious. It's, um, the, uh, it's a parody of Fun with Dick and Jane, as you can guess from the yeah. uh, title. But the guy, like, really nails the style. Um, right. Not only of fun with dick and jane but of uh star trek also he's got um some of it's like the very specific like um go here check off go there check off like that and, but right. some of it's like really specific like he's got like a bit about um a piece of the action um he's got a a, a couple pages based on devil in the dark and yeah well i know i one thing you posted had uh dr mbenga in it and yeah he, yeah. Was, he was in what maybe one or two that episodes is a deep cut yeah and it is. not only that but they also specifically put him in there because he was a um a specialist in uh, vulcan physiology because the joke was oh um, right because nobody could figure out how to fix spock's knee or whatever this crewman has a hurt hand dr mccoy fixes it this crewman has a hurt knee dr mccoy fixes it spock has a hurt elbow dr mccoy calls in dr mbenga for a consult (laughs) it's a great thing to teach children about medical consults and of course the 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 last bit before that i specifically mentioned that spock was biracial Nice. And uh, so yeah, it, a... it it seems like it definitely addresses the whole uh, diversity thing. Like it, you do have to go for a deep cut, like Doctor Mbenga, to get <laughs> yeah, there. To get but, diversity yeah. on that. Hey, uh... look, here's more than one black person on the Enterprise. Good job. There yeah. was the, they had they had a bit about Abraham Lincoln in there too. Oh, um, nice. It, what did you say, Abe Abraham Space Lincoln? <laughs> That's fantastic. It's wonderful. So it works on the level of being a Star Trek fan. It works on the level of being a funny book. Right, and it's just fantastic. So we had an unofficial Star Trek day to go along with that, and uh, Mm. I uh, I had a blast. (laughs) I'm I'm just picturing it as Captain Picard Day. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Did Jonathan Frake show up with his little uh, Captain Picard action figure? God, I wish so. No, see, I picture it as Captain Picard Day. Only they everyone's drawn pictures and made dolls of Brian. (laughs) Oh, of course. Ah, I would I would be in favor of this day. (laughs) Is is Brian dressed as Captain Picard in this? Weird, elaborate fantasy. I'm not has. sure. It's it's getting a little carried away, so I, I need to direct myself. One of my students drew me a picture of Rom at the end of the year. So yeah, I'm still not really getting the That's whole. That's pretty Rom hilarious, thing. actually. Kids yeah. love Rom. Uh, apparently, kids love Rom. <laughs> ha- hashtag kids love Rom. Hashtag kids love Rom. There's right. <laughs> there's our next T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey see kids, if the kids Rom. See if the kids will license that drawing to us to put on a T-shirt. <laughs> It's great. It's Rom playing baseball. Oh, good. Our two favorite things about DS9. Yep. <laughs> speaking of DS9. Yes, thank speaking you, of, Speaking of Rom, uh, but not until the second half of this episode. No, 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 no. In the first the first episode is the Sword of Kallus. What about so- Kallus, Father? What about his sword? What, a- what about you shut up? Well, Mickey Mouse, I'll tell you. <laughs> hey! Ha-ha! ho a hush has fallen over Quarks as a legendary Klingon Dahar Master Kor regales the crowd with some lies, or as we call them over on Sarcastic Voyage, Matt Facts, about his legendary exploits. Because if there's one thing regular patrons of a bar slash casino slash hologrammatic whorehouse in a space truck stop can't resist, it's story time. 
Worf really wants to introduce himself to the old guy, but there's a 50-50 chance that any Klingon will spit and curse his family name for ten generations if he tries to talk to them, and he's starting to lose track of whether or not now is one of those times. And he can't remember which classic Klingon guy this guy is. Is he the one who sounds like Mr. Freeze? The one they named an alien after on The Simpsons? The one who called Kirk's Enterprise garbage? Or the other one? Fortunately, Dax doesn't care about any of this and promptly sets the two of them up on a date. As he gets progressively drunker, Kor reveals that he's on a quest to find an ancient Klingon relic called the Sword of Kalis, or Kalis as it's pronounced. He shows Worf his sword diary and tells him about X marking the spot and how only the penitent man shall pass and a third Last Crusade reference. <laughs> Seriously, I almost just went and watched Last Crusade to get a third reference because that's how devoted I am to the rule of threes and also because Last Crusade is a great movie. Yes, anyway, is. so Kor, Worf, and Dax track the sword to the Gamma Quadrant, which makes total sense because Klingons of over a thousand years ago were totally in contact with sword-stealing aliens from the other side of the galaxy. They head to a planet about 30 seconds after deactivating various defenses that an entire team of Vulcan scientists couldn't figure out, then actually find the sword. But they also find that Duras kid that Worf refused to kill back in, like, season four of Next Gen. He also wants the sword, but he doesn't get it. Bear in mind that we are now roughly at the halfway point of this episode, and this is pretty much all the plot you're going to get. The remaining 25 minutes of Worf and Kor getting possessively more progressive, sorry, progressively more possessive <laughs> over the sword and trying to kill each other. That's it. Because power corrupts. Do you, do you get it? Do you get it? Eventually, they give up on the sword altogether, reasoning that if these two Klingons can't control themselves around it, clearly the entire Klingon Empire isn't ready for it yet. So they beam it out into space where it, uh, you know. <laughs> this one. This yeah, I'm just going to roll wrong. Right. I'm just going to roll into my bad thing, which is what I just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That the second half of it is nothing. Yeah, I was it's so just... into the first half of it. And oh I was my like, god, it, this is a really good one. I'm really looking forward to the yeah, it's a fun, high stakes it's a quest. Indiana Jones swashbuckling adventures they're surely about to get up to. Yeah, it's such an awesome concept in theory. You know, like I really like it's Klingon shit. It's Dax being awesome. It's Worf being awesome and bringing you know? this classic guy back into the fold. Yeah, like, exactly. You know. It's one of the classic Klingons from that other episode, and, right? You know, the original series, right? It's it, it should be great, and it was yeah. for a while. It feels like they didn't have the money to deliver the episode that we all expected. Yeah. Because we spend most of the time in one or the other of, you know, two terrible cave sets, and that's yeah, it. They just yeah. wind up in the same stupid cave they always wind up in. Right. I was I was reading on Memory Alpha. Apparently the plan was to have, there was going to be this running battle through the caves, and they were going to be dodging traps <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, and at the end of the day, cool. they ran out of time and money to do it. So Somebody instead, realized just... that that entire cave set is like 15 square feet. So yeah. they don't have so room instead, for running and dodging. Instead, they just decided 20 minutes of two Klingons sniping at each other. And that's there's there's just one character beat that just escalates and escalates, and that's it. Like, they're mad at each other. They want the sword. They want the sword. They want the sword. That's it. Like Worf is a bad Klingon. He doesn't get to have the sword. You well, are this, old and drunk, well, and you do not deserve is, the sword. Let's repeat this for 20 more minutes. Boys, stop uh, fighting. Oh, you men. Yeah. Yeah. Dax does get to be a badass, though, I will say. Yeah, she does. We got uh, we had a little bit of real Dax. Yeah, we got that the Dax, Dax that you guys keep talking about. Yeah, the yeah. Dax we keep promising the, you know, the new to DS9 viewers that they haven't really seen yet. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. It's it's weird that that Dax has been so long in showing up, but here she is. Yeah, if you're going through for the first time, more of this stuff, guys. So Yeah. yeah. I actually I find it really disappointing that apparently the only way they need, they could sort of bring the Dax we remember out is by pairing her off with Worf. Well, I mean, we'll see how that goes. I mean, yeah. uh, Worf... No, I don't... I, I mean, like, just putting her in an episode with Worf, you know? Well, like, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Like, Worf hasn't really found his groove yet. We don't really know, like, what, what clicks he's going to hang out in, what people <laughs> he's going to spend his time with, like, you know... Who his guidance it, counselor is. Right. I mean, right now, Quark's Where his really locker trying is. to ingratiate himself <laughs> with him, so maybe right. that'll, maybe that'll uh, take off. Yeah, who this knows? Locke has no honor! <laughs> Uh, but I mean, there was there was a lot to like about this. It was all just in the first half, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty I, much. I do like, like the idea of this mystical Klingon relic and the uh, idea of this this great hero wanting to go get it, and you know, it's a cool well, idea. The, like it's got that it's got the, that great epic feel to it that works so well with Klingon stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they're going on a quest, like an actual fucking quest. The guy calls it that at one point. Yeah, it's it's the Klingon Holy Grail. It's, a yeah. like it's actually quest. just a quest for the Holy Grail. They're going to run off and find this fucking sword that used to be run by Kalos, their god, who they know is an actual god, so his sword actually exists. It's really neat. 
Yeah. Even though all he gets up to these days is sort of hanging around and not doing much. Yep. Yeah. Being the emperor, which apparently means nothing. Sure wish I was in charge. Well, you can't be. You can only be in charge if you win a staring contest with me. <laughs> no, I'm out. God. Yep. I'm pretty the way sure they the describe him in this episode, he seems basically like the uh, the Queen of England, or uh, in Matt's case, the Queen of Canada, where like <laughs> he technically has all these responsibilities, but if he goes against what the Prime Minister wants, it's basically, eh, too bad, sorry. Right. Yeah, he mostly just shows up at uh, when uh, new supermarkets open. Yeah, so, like, so it's like, technically, you're the head of state, and technically, you do this, and you do this, and you sign this, and you wave your sword around at people. But Does the queen really, wave her sword around at people? The, well, when uh, she's knighting she's been them. Known to happen. She knights oh, wow. them. Yeah. I mean, I saw her standing next to the Iron Throne from Game of Thrones, but she didn't sit in it. Yeah, I was wasted opportunity. Yeah. What a loser. I know. <laughs> hey, that's treason when you say it. Do you think I'm the first person to ever call the Queen of England a loser? When we say it, it's patriotic. We fought a yeah. war over it. Exactly. Also, tea. That, something about tea, yes. Yes. This Here, is what watch, away, this is for watching this episode was like with us. We we just got bored halfway through and started. Yeah, it started yeah. to. Uh, we were talking up. about L. Ron Hubbard for a while. And... Well, you know, L. Ron Hubbard once declared himself uh, Commodore of the High Seas. Right, which is exactly what Cor was going to do as soon as he got back to the homeworld. Right. I don't know. I just that that has nothing to do with Star Trek. It just delights me that he just declared <laughs> yep. himself like Commodore of. <laughs> yep. And when you look up his thing, it says, the, the, what, what is it, Sea Org C-Org, is the paramilitary yeah. wing of the Church of Scientology. Like, wow. Sea Org was an excuse for L. Ron Hubbard to live on a boat and eat a bunch of pills. Yep. Yep. And oh. have sex with underage women. I'm going to be declared and a... boys. But I'm going to be declared a suppressive person now. A heretic. <laughs> and that's how the post-atomic horror got post-atomic sued. <laughs> Take that, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Sorry Nancy Cartwright. Your... <laughs> Sorry about your weird face. Tom Cruise has a weird face? I yeah, think Tom Cruise has a weird face. Anybody really? who ever said there were no straight yeah. angles in nature has never looked at Tom Cruise's head. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he you are correct, like, though. Looks, that, uh, this his episode... skeleton looks like it's made of puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Tom Cruise's skeleton? Yes. Yeah, Michael really? Jackson bought it. <laughs> he oh. showed it to me one time. It was a really weird date. But Tom Cruise isn't gay, Matt. You're going to get a suit again. <laughs> yeah, neither am I. And yet... Oh, fair enough. He invited me up to his apartment and showed me his skeleton, which wow. was made of puppets. That's like eighth base. <laughs> Skeletal examination. Yep. So, back to this episode. <laughs> right. Oh, right, right. What are we doing? My good thing uh, was Core. Uh, yeah, he's pretty great. I liked him. I liked uh, his, uh, his style, but also that he wasn't just... I'm going to be a great Klingon. It was, see, he's also kind of awful, just like Worf, but in the opposite direction. It's like I pointed out in my summary, he is a big liar. Yes. Which, in a culture that that prizes honor, seems strange to me. See, we talked about that, though. Like, I feel like, you know, it's not so much what you did as what you say you did. Well, of course you think that. If the story's good, who gives a shit if you actually did it or not? Well, then... But that's, that's not really honor. No, it's not, but it's very Klingon. But see, that's how it works. Worf is all, I learned how to be a Klingon from books, so I'm all about the technical definition of honor, and I'm yeah. serious and it's all, it's only, juice. It only, and, matter, it well, only matters is, what you did, not what people think you did. This is only a very broad spoiler, but this show does definitely show us that angle of Worf mm-hmm. a lot more than Next Gen ever did, and I think yeah. this is the first time we really start to see that, because he's called into conflict with a guy who's not like that. Exactly. We see he's this real also, Klingon. Yeah. But he's, he's but he's also kind of terrible. He's washed up. He's a drunk. Yeah. He does tell these like grandiose lying stories about all these great things that Kodos and Kang did right. that he takes yeah. all the credit for yeah. now that they're dead. Oh, yeah. no, I get to well actually you oh, Koloth. Yeah. Huh? Koloth. Col- Koloth. Oh, right, Kodos Koloth. was the Kodos was the executioner. I did that. Yeah. I do that all Not the time. Not even a Klingon. Right. Kodos, Kodos is the other alien from... Uh, yeah, the, the problem is uh, the Simpsons, Simpsons stole three names from Star Trek, and two of them were Klingons and one of them wasn't. No, no. No, no, because hmm? uh, uh, Sarek Kang, was the uh, preparer. Koloth was, Koloth was uh, the execution. Yeah, but they also had, I think, Kor. Like, the the one that James uh, Earl Jones played the one no, that time. Was, that was, no, no, that's, uh, Sarek. that's Sarek the preparer. Are you sure? Oh, Sarek yeah. the preparer, oh. yeah. Okay. Because cri- his only line in that one is that he cries over... Uh, 
the food. No, 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 no. The very first Treehouse of Horror. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's James Earl Jones about. was in all three uh, episodes, and he was the uh, uh, oh. the bad dream yeah. house. He did huh. the Raven, and he did um, right, right, right. Uh, Sarek the Preparer, and that was the one that he only oh. had the one line in. I yeah. thought he had more than that. I th- I could swear he's played that character more than once. Oh, I mean, I he know. might have, but uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Main point is he wasn't Koloth, and I messed that up. <laughs> Right. And I am 100% admitting it's because of The Simpsons. Yep. <laughs> if I say Kang, thing. the next thing I say is Kodos. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame <Hello>. me, March. <laughs> this is my sister, Kodos. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I hope that he says it in the most masculine voice possible. Hello. Um, but no, Korra was fantastic. It is it is sad that mm-hmm. we lost like two of the three guys in the previous episode, yeah. but it's nice that they at least kept one of them alive to bring back. And he's mm-hmm. so, and that's what I love is that he's, you know, with those 60s actors, it was kind of a grab bag, but all yeah. three of those guys were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this guy especially, like, he really lives the character. And even though he's, you know, he's old and chunky and his makeup is a little iffy sometimes. <laughs> Uh, he 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 still just brings it like one hundred percent. He really does. He's got a fantastic performance. Really, yeah, Matt. I I noticed in in your notes you were talking about like survivor's guilt and just he he really like I got a real survivor's guilt feeling from him. Yeah, just the the sadness of of him. Yeah, he's the his his two best friends are dead. Yeah, and that's pretty much all he talks about is how great these two dead friends of his were. Yeah, and like all he. There's this there's this kind of sad moment where while they while they're off looking for the sword he get he comes up from the 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 back of the shuttle where he's been where he's been asleep and he's talking about I had this dream where the statues of these two guys came back to life when we celebrated finding mm-hmm. the sword I'm like that's really sad and yeah. he was kind of the worst of the three of them also those two were like great warriors and captains and he was kind of the good time Charlie that uh... was he the one they had to bail out of jail yep. I think he might have been, yeah. I'm not yeah. super sure, because they all look pretty similar. I'm yeah, because uh, Ansara was the tall, serious one, and uh, William Kemp was the one with really dumb hair. Right. I okay, just yeah. remember Drunk. the one that sounds like Mr. Freeze. And uh, again, to do a very minor spoiler, Cor will show up again, and he will still be a crazy drunk. Yep. No, and it's a fun... We've talked about this before, Matt. The um, Actually, we've talked about it with a bunch of the guests, too. That uh, the, the Klingons, they're really doing a good job of sort of showing us that they're they're not all the same personality type. It's not like one race is the same. Like they're no, doing they're... a good job of giving us subtle shades of Klingon, and he's definitely a Klingon type we haven't seen before. But he totally fits the the mold. Well, yeah. they do that with with everybody on this series so well. The Ferengi have all these shades now, and even the yep. Cardassians. You know, mm. so far it's really just um, Garrick and uh, uh, what's Dukat. his name? Dukat. Dukat. Yeah, I'm yeah, really Garrick awful with names Dukat, today. But, uh... Yeah, um, but there, there there will but, be more. I mean, eventually. Has Damar shown up yet at all? Not, Not yet, yet no. no. Okay, never mind then. Yeah. I like him, though. But, yeah, he's he's great, too. Um, but, yeah, it's it's nice because he totally fits what we know about Klingons. It's not like they're contradicting anything that's come before. No. Mm-hmm. But he's he definitely sort of fleshes out the idea that they're not all exactly the same. And, actually, I'm just going to steer this into my good thing, which is I love the fact that, apparently, every Klingon cannot stand Gowron as the leader. <laughs> yep. This, this comes up two or three times in this episode where nobody wants him to be in charge. That just feels right to me. It feels like all these different Klingons just sort of like found a guy they all just kind of don't like instead of yeah. somebody wants to kill. It's just sort of like the perfect balance of, ah, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's fine, but I'll be in charge someday. That, well, that's, we, and we've talked about this. Gowron is not a very good Klingon. In nope. The sen- it, like in, in the sense that of what a Klingon would actually respect. Like, he's kind of sleazy and sneaky, mm-hmm. and he's not above, like, backstabbing and poisoning and shit. Yep. But he's a hell of a good but he's politician. An he's a fuck of a good politician, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm just picturing posters of him around Kronos that say, <laughs> Gowron is watching you! <laughs> Gowron is watching everything. Yes. In the universe. Yep. His eyes, like, his eyes act like black holes. <laughs> Gowron's They're guide what, to leadership. They're what pulled the Klingon moon out of orbit. <laughs> That's why Praxis exploded, because yes. Gowron was born. <laughs> that certainly fits First in with th- their incredibly vague lifespans. Yep. The second he opened his eyes, the <laughs> like, yep. like, how old should Duras be right now? Uh, that's, that's little Duras. So yeah, like he was a he was uh, he was like fourteen or yeah he was yeah, in he his was, teens in, yeah, in the next. He was pretty episode. young, but you know that was about five years ago. That that sort of almost fits. But yeah, here's here's another tiny spoiler. Alexander will show up again, and he'll be about twenty. Yeah, <laughs> yep. 
and that doesn't make any damn sense at all. Klingons age quickly, and then and then slowly. Well, that's the thing. I I could buy that. They're sort of the opposite of Vulcans, where they they maybe only live thirty or forty years. Except then we have these guys from the original series who are still around. So I don't know. I I I kind of get the idea. Like it fits my idea of Klingons that they don't really believe in medicine all that much, and they don't (laughs) really like. You know, it's sort of a Darwinian kind of like, if you're too weak to live, then you just die. Yeah. So it's weird to think that they would live 100 years. I mean, I feel like they probably have, like, medicine for diseases. Right. But, like... But injuries? You, Fuck yeah, it. Yeah, injuries get, I don't give a shit about. Yeah, maybe maybe you, all Klingons are technically immortal, and they just go on living forever until they die in an accident or uh, a battle. <laughs> until barrels fall off. <laughs> <laughs> Every Klingon's greatest nemesis. Yeah, it's not just Worf, it's everybody. What the fuck? I That's okay, know. I've been forgetting names today. <laughs> I forgot how a word worked. <laughs> nemesis, right? Or is it more yeah. than more than one nemesis? Is a nemesis. nemesis. A single, a single nemesis. <laughs> one nemesis, several nemeses. Star Trek nemesis. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. Uh, Matt, what was your good thing? I love the design of the Sword of Kalos. It's a great take on sort of the Batleth. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, it's just this big fuck-off, like, it's made out of stone. Sure, which is practical for a sword. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm sorry, Batleths were never practical, so... Oh, fair enough. So the the Klingon version of the sword and the stone is just the sword is the stone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just a rock, and they called it a sword. Right. Whosoever pulleth this sword out of itself shall henceforth be be the king of England. Emperor of of, uh, the Klingon homeworld, which is usually unnamed. Yes. Kling. Um, yes. they, uh, they, they do put it in that little sword-holding plinth, though. Yes. That was a, that was a weird little, uh, like, it's a cylinder with a little slot in it. You yeah, this put a sword s- into. Special sword container that they had in the runabout just waiting for this. Well, they knew they were going to find the sword, so well, they needed to be prepared. Yeah, they I mean, were, they were really confident. for yes. a sword. Right. I'm looking at that thing, and I'm like, that thing's going to tip over in, like, a second. No, it's got some kind of, like, anti-gravity thing or something. It's got some kind of, I don't know, glue or something. That's <laughs> I mean, I you know, they, they went into the whole, like, I got an opportunity to quote that Venture Brothers line I love, which is, why do you sword guys always talk about your swords? Because <laughs> they really do go on about, it was forged in the fires of blah, blah, blah. Is that the one that we're talking the about in the last Kalos yeah. episode where, like, he twisted his hair up and dipped it into lava? Oh, yeah. I Probably. forgot about that. And then he shaved with it. Sure. <laughs> and then he, the hair he cut but, off to shave off the hair that he had. But he did not cut meat with it. Because uh, that is dishonorable. Or he couldn't mix the meat with milk? Is that a thing? I don't know. The important meat thing milk? is Ben Sisko, we now know, shaves with a little blue cube. Yep. The same blue cube that Jordy shaved with. Yep. I- I'm going to say this, looks... guys. It's not hmm? my official bad thing, but I think that it's a real missed opportunity that when Worf and Dax go to Sisko and he's shaving, he wasn't shaving his head. <laughs> Like That's that would have made that scene so much better if he was just like well, rubbing and we that know thing he back and his head. forth over his little mm-hmm. chrome dome. Yeah, or if he had shaving cream all over it and then gradually threw out the whole uh, <laughs> the whole scene, he's just yeah. shaving it all. Can I help you, old man? I'm a little busy right now. Well, why did you answer the door then? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Go away. He's just wearing a towel. Yes. Hello. He's got shaving cream all over you. the I'm top of his towel. head and his chest. <laughs> I'm sorry, does Garrick need a shuttlecraft? I'll be right there. <laughs> Will one be enough? <laughs> Still one of my favorite Cisco lines. Awesome. And no, under, our, a... uh, under our interpretation of Cisco, he may have meant it. Uh, that's <laughs> a good point. How many shuttlecrafts do you need to fit a person? Uh, Come on, Ben, you know this. One is a pretty low number. Let's see. There was a, one is the loneliest number. Oh, right, one. Okay. And he, remembers okay just good, by, yes. he remembers just by looking at his hand. Like, but then right. he's like, shit, one but two. hand. Wait, no, but two can be as bad as one. Damn it! <laughs> it's the loneliest number since the number one. That's a terrible lyric. My god, math is difficult. This mnemonic doesn't work at all. <laughs> Three is also pretty bad. I'm not super big fan of the number three. <laughs> I don't know the words to that song. I, no, me neither. Four I, I will say the scene. Is, I guess a little bit better. 
the scene we're talking about where uh, Dax and Worf are like, Dad, can we borrow the car, please, 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 please? Like, yep. Worf is kind of adorable in those first couple of, like, like uh, Kor says, I found this thing that might lead us to the sword. And, and Dax is like, okay, I'll take it to the lab in the morning. And Worf goes, why not now? Do it now. I want to know. And he says it like that, too. Why not now? Like, like, like a little kid. It's just so cute. I, I would say also, though- like. I'm really surprised at how easy that sword turned out to be to find. Well, that's yeah, what... that was not quite the quest we had been. I think like, we were all saying that it should have yeah. been more about Dex finding shows it. Up in the, the next it. morning with like this yeah. ancient scroll that I guess was just like in the library. Yep. Yeah, Ram was using it as a coaster. <laughs> Ram wrapped they... his spatula in it. And then it turns out that this this cave that they were going to had been like studied by Vulcan scientists for weeks, weeks. and they hadn't been able yeah. to find anything. And, and then, then Dax, Dax gets like, there with her tricorder and says, let's yeah. reverse the polarities. And Apparently they found the only slacker Vulcans. <laughs> I guess. Uh, we are down here in a cave. There is probably nothing it, in man. here. To exert effort would be illogical. <laughs> I, I, I do like that Kor's whole thing is like, uh, I, I, I just shot a rat with my phaser and now I'm going to like write a song about it. But I uh, hope we don't have to do any real effort to find this yeah. sword or I'm not bothering. <laughs> I did my part. Yep. Well, I'm already in my pajamas. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> it. No, he's already in his big wool sweater. <laughs> oh, yeah, his big furry shoulder pads. Those were yes. neat. That, that actually looked really comfy, which I don't <laughs> often say about Klingon clothing. It's a no. giant, puffy, uh, fake fur jacket. It was awesome. Well, it, it sort of keeps that Russian vibe going. Yep. That's always been something I've liked about. Yeah, uh, Klingons. Like Star Trek Six did that a bit too, with the you know the the whole Rorapente thing and the Gulag yeah, on and like the, the Gulag of Rorapente. Right. Hello, I, I've I am always Klingon. liked that because they were obviously always sort of the stand-ins for the Russians. So yeah. it was a nice. You know. I am Klingon Gaiovich. <laughs> I am how you say. <laughs> uh, Matt, what was your bad thing? Uh so Morph, buddy, you really think you can lead the Empire? <laughs> Most of the Klingons don't even like you. You'd make it about six minutes. Well, I just said nobody likes Galron. Yeah, yeah but, but I, I don't think I at don't least Galron's even a good politician. Mm. Worf's a good boss. That means the five people that worked in the uh, in the uh, the the Hall of whatever with him Justice. do all right. Yeah, the Hall. Of, meanwhile, at the Klingon Hall of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Is Outside the Klingon hole? Hole of, hole of Justice is this hole of justice. <laughs> I also, um, we get this big revelation from Worf in this episode that uh, when he was reunited with his Klingon cousins, they all hated him. Yep. So he ran, <laughs> so he ran off to cry in the woods, much like Spock would do, did. See, now, th- th- up to this point, I like it. Uh, and then after three days without food or water, he had a hallucination that Collis appeared to him. And told him that he had a great destiny. Yeah, and that's what he based his whole life on. I hate the idea that, like, Worf getting into, Worf becoming, uh, like, a Starfleet officer, you know, like, every, I hate the idea that everything he did came from that. It's, like, it's dumb. Mm-hmm. I don't love it, but, I mean, you know, Matt, some people are religious. I know. I hate it. <laughs> Fair enough. On, yeah, Worf, but generally it's not because they this. ran off into the woods and had a hallucination because they yeah, were about to die of Jesus. exposure. I don't know. There are people who think they have visions. I know they are, but they're crazy. This is Worf for crying out loud. He has a lot of problems, but he's not crazy. When I went went back to visit my Klingon cousins, they thought I was soft and human. And then I saw a picture of Kalas burned into my toast. (laughs) (laughs) He appeared to me in a Dorito. And then then my Klingon cousins made fun of me for eating Earth toast. No, I do world. like the idea that he was raised on Earth and he came back to the home world for the first time and they all, like, hated him. Like, that that part is cool. Yeah, the, the idea of him, like, finding out that he had, like, sort of the rem- like a distant family. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I will go, I will go to the Klingon home world and I will reconnect with my roots. And by, by this time he's already, like, 12 or whatever and he's, already, like, all the stink of humanity's on him already and yeah. it's too late. Which, yeah. as far as we can tell from watching Alexander, makes him 30 and human. Yeah, basically. <laughs> right. Well, and also, you know, he's Worf, so he's boring as hell. Yeah. Plus, I don't want to c- get drunk. I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine Michael Dorn pre-puberty, much less Worf pre- like, no. I, I, I can't imagine him having any voice but this one. No, he came out of the womb like that. Yep. Mother, I would like spaghettios with my dinner. <laughs> Baba! Oh. I want Baba! Ugh. Yep. 
There's an image. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh. Now I'm just picturing a baby with Michael Dorn's head. Yeah, yep. me too, and it's horrible. Yep, but it's the now same just... size. Hard no, adorable. Now I'm, picturing... now I'm just picturing Michael Dorn in a, in a diaper with a giant bottle. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh I'm Is always he still in the wharf that. makeup. Yeah, still wearing the wharf makeup. Okay, good. No, I'm, I'm picturing him out of the wharf makeup, but because the only context I have is that one episode where he wore a hat through the whole thing, he's still wearing a hat. <laughs> I'm, I met him on a uh, on a on a on an airport tram once. <laughs> I think I told this very boring story on the show before, <laughs> which is I sat next to him for the 15 minute ride from the parking lot to the to the uh, terminal, and I kept lo- I know that's him, I know that's him, but I don't want to embarrass myself, so I finally said, "Hey, uh, excuse me, what time is it?" It is 10:30. Like, damn it, like, I knew it was him. Dwarf. That, that's it. That's and my And then you're just sitting Michael next to him and you just slowly hold up your hand to cover his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've seen you somewhere. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, Brian, what was your How do you thing? feel about honor? <laughs> well, he's uh, an actor, Matt. He himself doesn't care about honor. That's his my, uh, my official bad thing was... Um, uh, so when I, when I first signed up for this episode, uh, I wanted our man Bashir, the, the second episode, I wanted to be the sure. one who did the review of that. Um, but when I looked at the list of episodes, I, I was going through and I counted and I said, oh, great. The second episode that I'm going to be doing is going to be Homefront. That is one of the absolute best episodes of the entire series. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that the way of the warrior was a two-parter and that I would actually be getting the sword mm-hmm. of Kalos. So my bad thing about this episode is that it's not Homefront. <laughs> In fact, your brother swooped in and grabbed Homefront and, and <laughs> the uh, part two to that Paradise Lost. So. Oh, and those are both convenient. Ah, that's so good. You guys, That's yep. I'm, I'm giving no, you a trailer for next uh, next week's episode, audience. Yeah, fantastic episode. All, all I will say, without really spoiling actually any plot, is that we finally get to meet Cisco's dad, and he is delightful. Yay. One of my favorite supporting characters on this show, if he not my favorite supporting his uniform. Yep. Such no, there's stuff. a lot of good stuff going on in that yeah. one. Yeah. So pretty great i wish I was that's, that's a that's a pretty dubious bad thing though yeah this, i mean this episode I, wasn't well, another episode the main one that we covered was that the second half was boring and that's really yep. that's all there is to it it's not bad enough that you can pick out individual bad things because it's just one solid chunk of bad thing at the end yeah that's yeah. the issue like i mean you said it yourself not a whole lot happens nope and what does happen is the same thing for a very long time. Yep. So that's it. It's not It's not an episode that I would prefer to be watching, and Cisco wasn't shaving his head in that one scene. A <laughs> lot, uh, lot of sword arguments. Yep. A lot of oh, and Worf, about a sword. Uh, Worf tries to kill a guy. Yeah, he tries oh, to kill yeah, Thor. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's super weird. Hey, uh, go, go ahead and drop down this pit. There's a place for you to land, and it turns out, no, there wasn't. There's not. Yep. There is, at best, a very small place that he probably wouldn't land on. Yeah, Dax okay. looked and said that wouldn't have supported him. He was going to die. Yeah, okay, let's... I just I want to be very clear about this, because it really kind of pissed me off. Um, So, there's a part where they jump over a ravine or something, mm. and Kor falls in, still holding the sword, and Worf grabs it. And they're both doing the whole, let you let go of the sword. No, you let go of the sword, and you pull mm. me up. No, you throw me the whip. We don't have any whips. <laughs> and... Basically, so Kor's dangling over the side, and Worf tells him, there's a ledge underneath you. If you let go and drop, you'll be fine. No, there isn't. If you let go and drop, you will be dead. Yep. Worf, a character who has been seven years on TNG, and look, I'm not saying Worf hasn't killed people before. I've seen him kill people. He killed Duras. It was mm-hmm. badass. Yep. But this is a this is a honored Klingon who Worf respected last night, who he's willing to just let drop to his death. I think that... you're not getting the whole sword thing, Matt. I, no, I Did... am. But like... it's not like the sword made them evil. No. Well, no, in fact, Memory Alpha even says some fans don't like this episode because they didn't explicitly say there was some tachyon field from the sword making them bad or some, uh, you know, But it would have uh, made more sense telepathic... than they're just getting See, a little punchy because they're down in a cave. No, it's it was just ba- it was a badly made point, but mm-hmm. it was it was pretty clear to me that they both wanted the sword really badly. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I think I think that's fine. I think the idea that Worf is willing to kill a guy by dro- like and not just kill a guy but drop him instead of you know fighting him for it or something. I like think he was so much Wesley. Yeah, but that's the point. It's making him act out of character because uh, it's got this crazy power over him. That's what I'm saying. Ah. Uh, 
It was badly made, but that is what the episode was supposed to be about. That's fine. That's I'm still all. mad about it. All right. That's well, not that's not Worf. It's not, which is why they had to get rid of the sword because he was acting not like Worf. Uh, that's the point. They kept the uh, they kept the display stand though. They did. Well, they can uh, nice. they can they can order a replica sword from Bud K or something. <laughs> or some kind of replica Christmas ornament. <laughs> Hello, Highlander magazine. <laughs> Hello, the Franklin Mint. <laughs> uh, Brian, tell us about our man Bashir. Do you want to do it? Did you do a quote? Uh, oh, I did not. Yeah, look at the that. The quote. You, Sorry, you I was so angry about it. swords, I forgot. <laughs> actually, this is Quark. Swords into my plot summary. This is this is Quark actually talking about how he thinks Klingon stories are boring and tedious. <laughs> you know what I like about Klingon stories, Commander? Nothing. Lots of people die, and nobody makes any profit. So nicely done, Quark. Thank you for that. <laughs> Can't argue right. with that logic. Brian, please tell us All about right. our man Bashir. Our man Bashir. <clears throat> well, the sign says Deep Space Nine, but I must be watching TNG because we're having a wacky holodeck adventure. Julian Bashir has decided to take a trip to the swinging 60s to play at being an international man of mysteriousness. He's got all the trappings, a swell bachelor pad, keen gadgets, love interests with ridiculous names like Mona Loves It and Kitty Fucks a Bunch, and of course, a snide Cardassian making fun of him, just like Simon Templar always had. Why, I must be watching Elementary Dear Data, because I'm seeing a brown-skinned nerd having his good mystery-solving times ruined by his overly literal pale boyfriend. <laughs> Garrick has noticed how often Julian's been visiting the Suite since obtaining his new program and decides to walk in and see what it is, which is apparently a thing you can do. Garrick isn't impressed by the silly approximation of the spy life, but agrees to join in the game for fun. What could go wrong, he actually says. I guess they don't teach the theory of narrative causality at spy school. <laughs> at that same time, a rather overloaded runabout, the USS Old Man, is returning from... a place, and it turns out to have been sabotaged. Eddington tries to beam them out in time, because I guess that's what he's up to this week, and ooh, I must be watching Relics, because he's able to save their buffer patterns in the station's memory. But he's not sure where he put them. Odo is none best pleased. In the words of Oscar Wilde, to lose one senior crew member is unfortunate, to lose five is carelessness. <laughs> Back in the Hollow Suite, well, I must be watching Sub Rosa, because there's a Nana visitor getting inappropriately sexy. Ah. Oh. <laughs> The foxy Russian spy Anastasia Nautipunsky has taken on the appearance of Major Kira. The computer doesn't think there's anything weird about this, and also it won't freeze the program, and also the safety protocols are gone, and why don't you get off its back? It works so hard for you. The program also now features an assassin who looks like O'Brien and a scientist who looks like Dex. Well, I must be watching Parallels, because the explanation for what's going on is both harebrained and largely irrelevant. The main point is, Garrick and Julian have to keep the five crew lookalikes alive, or the actual crew will die for some reason. The only way to safely end the program before Nog fixes, oh, sorry, before Rom fixes everything, is to play the game to its completion. Bashir and Garrick go off to do so because it beats sitting around Bashir's apartment, and besides, they still haven't seen what funny costumes Worf and Sisko are wearing. Maybe one of them has a fez, or a monocle. Uh, so it's off to Monte Carlo, where they must defeat Worf in a game of Baccarat, the most boring card game of all the boring card games. And from there to the evil villain's lair on Mount Everest, and oh, I must be watching Cupid, because the show is letting the captain indulge in a side of his acting talent that is usually restricted. <laughs> in Cupid, that was Patrick Stewart being a swashbuckling hero, and here, it's Avery Brooks being a cartoon supervillain. This is every bit as amazing as it sounds. Yep. Garrick learns that in order to complete the game, either Dax or Kira must die. Since he's a real spy, he's all in favor of sacrificing others to save their own skins. But Julian doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. I must be <laughs> watching... Oh, wait, they never did Kobayashi Maru on TNG. Um, let's go with the Emissary, because he took a third option and there was a Klingon in the vicinity. Look, this is a tough gag to keep going. <laughs> Julian shoots Garrick to stop him from ending the program, because at least one of his love interests was going to get shot one way or the other, so it might as well be on his terms. Bashir bullshits his way to victory, sort of, and Rom saves the day, because Rom is America's sweetheart. The crew rematerializes, the program ends, and I must be watching a fistful of datas, because really, that's the obvious reference here. I mean, this was practically a remake. <laughs> you are probably wondering if I have a bunch of alternate titles for this hollow adventure. Of course I do. <clears throat> the Man with the Golden Phaser. The Bashir Identity. Tinker, Sailor, Doctor, Taylor. The 47 Steps. Mr. and Mr. Garrick. Smiley O'Brien's people. 
Three days of the Nadibian slime condor. Captain Sisko, the Winter Soldier. The spy who came in from the cold. And in space, it is very cold. <laughs> UFP is authorized to declare the Cardassia file and the hunt for Red Defiant. Very nice. I, I got I The only one I didn't get is the 47 steps. I, I know the 39 steps, but what uh, is 47? 47 is just a number that shows up really often on Star Trek. Ah, I see. Uh, yeah, it's got, I think it's got a Memory Alpha article and everything. Yeah, I, I, I know there is some number. I always forget which number it is. But I, yeah, I always confuse it with the X-Files one. Ah. What's I the X-Files 311 one? or something. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 1013, but that's just the, that's name, of it, the, yeah. that's the name of the production studio. Yeah. Bad it's Robot. Somebody's birthday, I think. I made or this. Something. <laughs> sit, ubu, sit. Sit, ubu, sit. Good dog. <laughs> do, 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 do. Deke. <laughs> now we're just doing that uh, that, that uh, collage in uh, mouth sounds. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this episode, okay. The 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 technical stuff. Wow, it was it was it was magic. Just, <laughs> a magical oh, wizard came along yeah. and cursed them to go into the computer. So much contrivance. Like, okay, we stored their bodies in the holodecks, but their minds are all over the ship, or the yeah, station. I, I guess. But, but, yeah, really? that's the weirdest thing. And if they're if the holodeck characters die, their bodies just disappear. I guess. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. But once you get past that, it is like this is easily the like it took me a while to figure this out, but it is the stupidest episode of Star Trek I have seen, but that doesn't make it bad. Yep. Nope. It is a delight. It's this is, so good. Trek, Trek yep. goes back and forth on the uh I mean their holodeck one episodes and in the original series it was just, you know, going to like gangster planet or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this one really sort of nails the same the same feeling as like Gangster Planet or Elementary Dear Data. It's just delightful. Yep. Oh yeah. Like it embraces all of the great like tropes of like the Bond novel, like the Bond movies, and like. Wait, th what Bond? What's Bond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they they seem to be afraid of mentioning it. Yeah, they don't. Act, they can't actually call it out. Well, that's the thing. And then, I mean, he says Bashir, Julian Bashir, and like they have just lots of obvious moments. The soundtrack gets almost there, but not quite. No, they this... do a great job of combining the. Uh... Yeah, in fact, that was your good thing, wasn't it, Brian? Uh, it was almost my good thing. Uh, but yeah. my almost good thing was that the uh, the soundtrack does. We we kept joking during the episode about the the James Bond. Yep. But um, at the end of the episode, when there's an adventurous moment going on, they play the Deep Space Nine theme in that style right yeah. and it works really well like it's just yeah. such an awesome i like i wish they would bring it back in a serious episode yeah like, i mean Worf they do does something they... cool or cisco uh jumps in and <laughs> saves the day and the soundtrack says right no it was it was so much fun and they definitely like i haven't even seen a lot of bond stuff but i know it through pop culture osmosis and yeah. they obviously skirted right to the line apparently too close to the line because mgm sent them a cease and desist don't get too close yeah. MGM doesn't seem to realize that a side effect of making the most iconic franchise in history is that occasionally you will get parodied. One of the other iconic franchises might reference you, yes. Yes. Uh, and my, my actual good thing, though, is that uh, I, we get to hear uh, O'Brien try to do an American accent, and that's always hilarious. Oh, sure. No, Colmini, Colmini has a fair range, but uh, uh, accents are not among no. his... It's not uh, the worst Owls accent I've ever heard, I mean, but it's... Yeah. It's like it's like no, that's uh, that would be Nana Visitor's Russian accent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but she had so much fun. She even said, "I got to do a bad Russian accent." Like she yeah. knew. Yeah, she that's was she wonderful. was playing a cartoon Russian. I mean, yeah, we were supposed she was to playing. Yeah, she was playing June Foray playing Natasha. <laughs> yeah, whereas in O'Brien's case, we weren't supposed to say, "Ah, oh, that's a parody of a bad American accent." He was just supposed mm. to be an American. Right. Whereas in uh, Nana Visitor's case, we were supposed to go, "Ah, yes, you are being a joking Russian type." Yeah, but um, or, or in her words, I am being joking Russian guy. <laughs> yeah, no, and and of course, you know, I'm pretty sure we lost Matt for a little while when uh, when she first <sighs> She's, uh, spun around in the round bed in her uh, slinky negligee. Man. Fine figure uh, of a woman, sure is. Ah, uh, yeah. You gonna be okay there? No, never again. <laughs> you need a moment. Uh, and then later on in a uh, slinky '60s dress, it was a pretty good episode Incredibly for me. Incredibly skin tight, like like. Yep. Like, I don't know how she moved in that thing. Nope. And the thing is, to me, still only the second hottest woman in there, because uh, they put Dax in glasses, and anyone who's heard me talk for more than 30 seconds knows glasses on women are a big thing for me. And yeah. Big 1980s glasses, too. Yeah, I, I didn't love that, but, you know, glasses know. are glasses. It kind of worked. 
Because like the whole the, the the obvious reference was that she's the the hot scientist. I mean, to to, yeah. to pull the easy James Bond reference, she's Denise Richards, and the world is not enough. Right, but I don't even think that existed. Doctor Christmas point, Jones. But... No, but it's that yeah. type. Or um, right. You know, but, but... Uh, uh, Jessica Alba and the Fantastic Four, where they're like, uh, how are we going to get them to believe that this person is a scientist with seven advanced degrees? I know they'll wear glasses. <laughs> yeah. But and this this leads into my bad thing, which is thankfully this is going away in in movies and TV and stuff. But this idea that the woman has to take her glasses off to be beautiful—nope, leave them on. Nope. Yeah. Glasses, glasses on, hair down. The Baroness yeah. really Wait, could no. have turned that around, and then they had to get rid of her glasses in that terrible GI no, Joe let's movie. Try, let's try glasses on. Hair, hair up. Hair up. <laughs> no. There's still some light coming in under the door. <laughs> But there is there is a scene, and it's not even that I that I disagree with the scene because it's very much in character for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's just the specifically the glasses. Yeah, that's all. Just, Thanks for nothing, Julian. Yeah, jerk. Dick. Yeah, asshole. Oh, dick. Oh, so much fun in this episode, though. Oh just, my god. I, and my good thing, I stole the good thing because I was first in the document. <laughs> yep. You all would have taken this. I definitely would have. I, I, I was. I, well, my 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 theory was. If I just say this sentence to anyone, they'll say, well, of course that's good. And I said to Amanda, Avery Brooks plays a Bond villain. And she goes, of course that's good. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, yep. and it was. It's everything you think it's going to be. Oh, my God. It, I mean, it's low-hanging fruit. He's obviously the clear choice for that, and he does not disappoint. It's uh, we, we can save it for later, but like even going in, I knew that my quote was going to be something by him. It was yeah. just a matter of figuring out what. No, we, we play that here. What'd you pick? Okay, it was um, right towards the beginning when he's doing his, his big initial bad guy threat. You see, Mr. Merriweather, not only do I intend to create a new future, I intend to create a new world. At each one of these points, I have hidden a new form of laser, one that can penetrate the Earth's crust down into the mantle itself. The global earthquakes. Those were only tests. Soon, I will activate all of these lasers together, and when I do, they will produce worldwide earthquakes, the likes of which we have never felt before. Killing everyone on the planet. More than that. There comes a time when a house has been so damaged by termites that you must not only kill the termites, but demolish the house and build again. This is my plan speech. Yeah, yeah. Here. So, yeah. Mr. Merriweather. It's it's the way he spits out pity is like so pity you won't be here to see it. Oh I'm, my god. I really wish he could just play a legit Bond villain. He would Or or any kind of over the top supervillain in a campy yeah. thing. Like not specifically Bond, but any kind of like like if you do sort of a Batman sixty six style thing, he'd be a great villain in that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah, or, I think you know. he should play uh, an evil clone of Nick Fury on Agents of Shield. Ooh, that, that wouldn't would be bad, rock. right? But well, except yeah, not on Agents of Shield, on a good show. But yes, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the thing. He would just act like he was on 1960s Batman, and the rest of the show would be exactly the same. God, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> he would fit in well. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he was he was just utterly delightful, exactly as you think he would be. And they give him lots of time. Like he's there for a good third of the episode, just doing his thing. Like. Like, you'd think the villain would show up in the last five minutes, but they I think they realized what they had, and they yeah. wanted to give him plenty of time. Plenty of time in a Nehru jacket. Yep. yep. Oh, it looks like man, Dr. I Evil. love that fucking jacket, too. Yeah, because he's got the same like the same outfit Dr. Evil wears, and he's got the bald head, and, yep. you know, it's, it's it still predates it by, like, four years. But... Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just... oh, but that was, yeah. well, because Blofeld wore that uh, in uh, Yeah, he's James supposed to be Bond. Blofeld. Yeah, and he, he, he's Dr. Noah. Because uh-huh. yeah, he's flooding the Earth. Right. Should have given him a robot hand. That would have been awesome. Although that is clever. I mean, you know, okay. I thought it was just. A, I didn't catch the Noah thing because I just thought, oh, that's a dumb play on Doctor No. But okay. Well, there's all. Yeah, there's also. And well, but on the other hand, his first name is Hippocrates, for no right. real reason because it's just one of those stupid. Well, it sounds fun. Name. By the way, Hippocrates when I was, Noah sounds like a great supervillain name. She wasn't a major part of the plot, so I, I didn't really mention her. But um, I wasn't. Well, I was. I was obviously making up. Um, uh, Kitty fucks a bunch. Sure. But uh, Mona Loves It was actually the name of Bashir's uh, secretary at the beginning. Yeah, rather buxom secretary, yes. Yep. Rather. Um, His, and uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, Kira had, a, had like a pun name too. Dax was Honey Bear. Yeah. And uh, Kira was, it was Anastasia and it was like, I don't know. Humps a lot or something yeah, exactly. like it that. It wasn't, no, that, that, was, that was an Austin Powers uh, character. Of it. 
Yeah, but it was it was pretty close to um, that. It was something very similar. Hold yeah. on, I'm, I'm going to go to the memory alpha. But I mean, it's like you know, that's again. That's well, the, in, yeah, that's uh, right there. The thing is, Austin Powers just took it one step further and made it a pure comedy. This was this was just slightly shy of that and was just There's having like fun. There's like a with legitimate it. serious James Bond movie, one of the worst ones, uh, where the 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 Bond girl is named Plenty O'Toole. Yeah. Yep. Which is not even a woman's sexy name. Cause nope. When Bond that means she has her, a big penis, says, I guess. He says, Plenty. named after your father, I assume. And I'm like, that is the worst pickup line yeah. yes. I can imagine. Pretty bad. So you got a big cock, huh? <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, like, guys, honestly, like, are any of these, like, worse than pussy galore? Very Seriously? few things are. Yeah. Well, she was gay, point. so until Bond sure. set her straight. Boy, the 60s, yeah. huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, fortunately, we get to, you know, there there also are no gay people in this. <laughs> Even though Garrick is clearly just making goo-goo eyes at Bashir the whole time. He really is. He gets so jealous. I yep. don't uh, like that you've brought another woman on our date, Doctor. Yep. Come on and off. Anastasia, yeah. come on and off. Oh, terrible. But yeah, yeah there. I mean, but uh, Garrick, like, he's it's a liter- hard line to walk for him to be the sinister spy guy and also camp it up at the same time. And I think yeah. he pulls it off. Like, it's not easy for him to stay in character as Garrick, but also have fun with this stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, I made a joke about this, but it is super weird that he's allowed to just walk in on the holodeck and. Oh, Especially even says that since his whole thing was like you've been spending a lot of time in here. He was re- he was just so hoping to see Bashir's naked ass. Yes, oh absolutely. No, My and Bashir doctor. was Bashir was a good sixty seconds away from betting whatever woman he rescued in whatever adventure he was playing. Yeah, Kid, Kitty fucks a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> which just sounds like a horrible toy to me. <laughs> Kitty fucks a bunch comes with everything you see here. Your, Your parents, parents put, put it together. together. Yep. My baby dreamer, kitty fucks a bunch. It would be one of those, like, stuffed, uh, when they had the stuffed kittens with, like, the baby kittens inside of them. Ugh. Oh, God, yeah. Was that, uh, be- uh, kitty surprise and puppy surprise? Ugh. Oh, my yeah, God. You, you yeah, you would, like, I give them a little those. C-section, I I've guess. I've never and, heard of that, but, uh, oh, they would I'll have see a, a picture later. They would have a Seems surprise. Seems to me the real surprise of, would be putting the kitten in, in the uh, puppy. No, the real <laughs> surprise is man. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Turns out it's man. Uh, Consider Matt, it if what you was your good thing? Uh, well, I mean, you know, uh, Russian cure in a nightgown and a slinky dress. Oh yeah, that. Um, no, I also I really like uh, I like ha- bringing Garrick, the real spy, into the world of goofy '60s Bond. Uh, yeah, I mean spy. that was hardly a reflection of what actual spies were like on our planet in that era, anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then, like, to add that extra layer there, like I've looked into this a little bit, you know, real spying is very dull. Yeah, yes. I imagine it's a lot of sitting on rooftops, like, watching and waiting. Nope, not even that. It's mostly uh, getting a fake job and stealing paperwork. Ah. Well, yet, I've, I've mentioned I've been reading the uh, the Discworld book, The Fifth Elephant, and the moment when uh, uh, Commander Vimes realizes that the guy whose house he's in is a spy is when he finds a small office filled with a lot of paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> and he's that like, wait sense. a minute, look at all these things he's been writing. And I'm like, yep, that's yeah. spy work for you. <laughs> So, I mean, I love characters like, oh, really, Doctor? An exploding <laughs> earring. Yeah, but really, he really doctor. gets into it. Yeah. Like, at no, the end, the... he's like, we're, we're, we're going to do this again, right? Yeah, I, and I love that, too. But I lo- like just the idea of, like, real spy versus James Bond yep. just delights me. Yep. And the fact that it's also Garrick, you know, that's the icing on the cake. Exactly. No, it is great. And Brian, I love your uh, your reference to, uh, well, one of his lovers had to get shot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> The thing is, okay, yeah, I mean, first of all, Andrew Robinson says, yeah, he's played Garrick a little gay, but it's it's pretty easy to read that into there. It's mm-hmm. like, like, if it's not in the script, then it's the biggest accidental I've ever seen. Cause... I, I'm pretty sure there is some kind of a subtext there. Like, it's not just a, one of our dumb running jokes. Like, no. I think there's a little more to it than that. I, I joked on an earlier episode I was on here about how easy it would be to see Jordy and Data as that. Yeah. But they've got nothing on these two. No, yeah. definitely not. And the thing is, I have I have this picture in my head that they're just a couple, and Bashir is you know fairly omnisexual and is still into women, like he says, mm-hmm. but he's also into Garrick. Yeah. yeah, and Garrick just is you know like a sort of a one dude guy right now. Yeah. But, also, uh, Garrick clearly delighted by Bashir on a regular basis. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. He's and, a good, good 
good lord doctor look how cute you are and the thing is let's let's talk about that he really cleans up nicely like he pulls off the dashing charming guy really well oh, yeah. yeah no he he definitely we, I, we've mentioned a few times that sometimes when he has to get out of his uh, comfort zone oh when he has to play evil he is alexander Siddig is not the best uh but no this this he... No, they found his comfort zone, and this is it. Yeah, playing, no. playing, charming. And he's got a clever... wide range in this episode too, because he does like a dramatic yeah. speech at the end. He does some daring rescues. He does some seduction. And he and he clearly slips back and forth between the fictional character he's playing and mm-hmm. Doctor Bashir. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which is nice, and yeah, but uh, he's got a he's got a fairly limited range. But they found it, and they are exploiting it here to its full extent, and and mm-hmm. it works really it well. It is just delightful. Yeah, and and as young dashing like i can't think of anyone in any of the the trek series like the modern trek series doing as good a job with this kind of thing as he would like he's the perfect choice to play a james bond type character yeah mm-hmm. absolutely which is which is great and you know again it's it's great seeing everybody in those in those costumes like i think they all look good i feel bad for poor michael dorn who <laughs> yeah. still had to put on his full fucking wharf forehead yeah. to play a bond villain just like everyone else just in a tuxedo yeah I mean, he he was clearly not playing Worf. Like his mm-hmm. his delivery was different. Like he was doing some acting. He was but a the poor, Duchamp. Yeah, but the poor guy had still had to sit in the makeup chair for five hours or whatever. Which mm-hmm. I, I feel bad for. Him. I think at that point he you know he's used to it. He's he does it to catch up on his reading. Well, yeah, he had just he had just. Plus, they, they probably had it down to, do this, to like so. two hours by then. Yeah, you know the uh, the if you're a regular, they get pretty quick. Uh, they learn all I, the little shortcuts. Yeah. It's just you know like like you, Avery Brooks got to put on the the Nehru jacket and and uh, Kira got to put on that thing and you know he, he's still got a like he gets a, a cool white tuxedo but he's still got to put on the wharf. Thing. He looks sharp as hell in that tux too. He does. Yeah, he did. He did. They all look with, good. Uh, with had the uh, the neck yep. widened a little bit. And... Mm. Yeah. No, he looked like the the tough guy in the casino. Like he, he absolutely and filled his that was like really a little well. tight to emphasize his muscles and Bashir's was like perfectly cut. And yeah. Garrus was a little baggy because he's got a weird Cardassian body under there. Yeah, and, I would uh, say Garrus was held on with double stick tape. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, what? Sorry, what? I I would say they did a better job in this than they did in a lot of the next gen episodes of casting the actual cast as you know, like appropriate guys. Like there were holodeck adventures on next gen where I did not buy. You know, Doctor Pulaski is this guy, and we the Riker about, uh, is this guy. Data is Ebenezer Scrooge because that was super goofy, right? Yeah, no, we called this out a few Spirit. times, and it just didn't really work. Skeletor, ah, <laughs> man. Oh man, that'd be great if there was an episode where Data was Skeletor. <laughs> Kiss and, me, Jordy. And then Worf came in to fight him. <laughs> I have oh, the sorry. power. By the power this of was that program. <laughs> No, we're not talking about that one anymore. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me. <laughs> Kalis the sword guy. Does that make Alexander Battle Cat? Yes. Father. Yeah. Zap. Father. <laughs> well, that explains how he grew so, grew so I, fast. I don't know about this, Father. <laughs> so, okay, Eddington, Dex I guess. Hela, then. <laughs> oh, no, no. Talk about the episode. Moving and on. And Thor's man at arms. So Eddington, yes, I guess yes. is Chief O'Brien when Chief O'Brien isn't around. I guess he did that, I mean, he did I that, guess that last week too, or, or the week before, whenever it was. Yeah. That yeah, uh, he was doing engineering stuff because Colby yeah. wasn't around. It's weird because I thought he was security, but Worf is now security. No, Worf is no, there. Worf isn't security though. Well, but Worf he's like tactical strate- security. No, he's the strategic operations officer. He's Worf's job is coordinating all the ships that come into the area for war purposes. So I guess now that the war's cooled off a little, he's just taken on a more general, like, station officer position. But I think he position. does strategic strategic military-type security stuff, not, like, station security. Well, yeah, yeah, no, like, it's definitely still a part of his whole hmm. deal, but except now he's in command of ships, so right. he's got the right. What were you going to say, Matt? I was going to isn't he also, at, like, if... If anyone attacks the station, isn't he in charge of, like, defense and stuff? See, that's what I thought. I, no, I thought that's, that's, security... still, that's still Odo, though, I think. No, I mean, like... That doesn't make sense, because he's stationed... Secu- like, he's, yeah. the, he's the local cop. He's not the... No, who, uh, who, the fires, who fires the torpedoes at the ships that invade and fire at the station? Well, yeah, clearly, that seems Eddington. like a Worf job to me. I, I would think it would be Eddington, but Ed- now I don't know. Eddington's got the job that Worf had in the first season of Next Generation, where he just sort of... He's got the thing that he technically does, but he also shows up anywhere else he's needed. 
Ah, that makes sense. Where, like, he'd usually be helping out Tasha, but then every so often he'd be down in engineering poking around in a panel The thing is, The thing is, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but I remember Eddington being a bigger part of the show. I remember kind of liking him for a while, mm -hmm. and that hasn't really happened yet. He just kind of shows up occasionally, and there's not really any character there. Yeah. He is, he is a presence, though. They're definitely keeping him yeah. involved. I mean... That's true. That stuff that he was getting, that could have just as easily been, you know... Odo and Ron yeah. talking to each the, other, but the the the, thi the thing is, it feels like they're trying to make him the new uh, Chief O'Brien, right? Like how Chief, yeah. like what Chief O'Brien was on TNG, but like they haven't given him enough, him enough to do yet. They're trying to yeah, make him the true. new Kieran McDuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, nobody. I mean, look, nobody can be Kieran McDuff. No, except maybe Food Guy <laughs> <laughs> or Hack Guy. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, oh, Rom apparently holds the hollow sweets together with a spatula, so that was a thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh -huh. Oh, you're acting like Scotty never held anything together with a spatula. Yeah, but when Scotty did it, it was charming. When Rom did it, it's just terrible. Plus, around the, plus around the time of the well, movies, he started eating the spatula for all of his cooking. So, well, right. He's he always has to have a grilled cheese on the go. More <laughs> pancakes. <laughs> he just cook, he cooks them on the uh, on the engine. Right. You need to make a tortilla. <laughs> he's, he's just got a line of grilled cheese sandwiches that he goes down every day. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, oh, I kept making this note because Garrick kept saying, this isn't a game, Doctor, but it is. It's exactly a game. That is what a Sweet program is. It's yes. a video game. And like I said, they're, they're basically explicitly told that you've got to play this game in order to keep the scenario going yeah. so we can get a handle on all these people. Right. But it's just weird to me that Garrick keeps saying this isn't a game. It's it, it, That's exactly what it is. It's Maybe a game. he was just quoting the posters for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Well, that seems likely. Yeah. The best I mean, explanation I can think of. Who isn't a giant fan of that movie? Well, Garrick clearly is. I Obviously, yes. Bob Hoskins is so underrated. He's a big John Lugu Luguizamo fan. Mm -hmm. I also uh, really he... enjoyed Spawn. Doctor. <laughs> so what else? We need to start wrapping things up. Yeah. Um. Can't we just talk about Spawn some more? Nope. Ah, yeah, well. I'd rather talk about Spawn than swords. I'll say that. <laughs> the Spawn had, Spawn had a sword in it because Nicole Williamson uh... had that sword. Uh. So my bad thing. <laughs> yes. Um. This is kind of in keeping with the actual, uh, the actual, how the uh, episode actually works, but. Um, Cisco's plan to repopulate the entire Earth on a tiny <laughs> island with 18 people? Yeah. Not a very good plan! Actually, we, we didn't... It was such a ridiculous plan, and I loved it so much. I do love that the episode ends with Bashir letting the Earth flood because all the people he needs to keep alive are on the island already. Yeah, because yeah, he only is, needs to keep great. him alive for two minutes, so... Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. He's like, hey, what can I do to distract the villain for two minutes? I got it. Let him win. I'll end the world. Yep. And the plan was, because they go over it, and it was that he's going to, he's got lasers positioned all over the world. Yep. And he's going to fire the lasers and shrink the earth. Well, no, no. It's going to cause earthquakes, which will then cause the oceans to well, rise. Well, no, it's because yeah. like, like, things are going to like slide into the ocean, and then like the sea levels are going to rise. And it's basically right. saying, I'm going to get rid of land so that there will be more water, and therefore... And he's going to sell beachfront beach property. Right. Well, that's such a good plot that they used wig. it, like, several times. Mm -hmm. They'll make it snow at the beach! <laughs> we'll blow up the ocean! Oh, no, they're going to blow up over the river and through the woods so that no one to Grandmother's house can go. <laughs> Mount Everest was his second base. His first one was in Nana's backyard. <laughs> over, on the, over on the Scottish yes. planet. <laughs> It's in Nana's backyard. You boys stop it out there. <laughs> I just hate you so much. <laughs> All right, anything else? I'm thankful I don't have a fork in my eye. <laughs> um, Any further bidness? I think that's everything I wanted to touch on. These were, this is a good one. It was this a was really fun. good one. It was, oh, it oh, was... oh, I got one more. Yes. One more point. In this episode, they actually use the metaphor like a balloon, and then something bad happens. Yes. They do. They do use that metaphor. I, if th if this had been my episode, that would have been my quote. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was close. Um, I was. Very, if, I was very glad to hear it. Uh, if this if this had been my episode, my quote would have been Baccarat and geology are my life. <laughs> Because that is a delightful quote. There was a lot to quote in this episode. I knew yeah, I had to go with Avery Brooks just because we'd be talking about him. Well, of course. And the audience had to hear. Uh, yep. 
And uh, but uh, that was good. If I could do a visual quote, there's one point where Bashir says something like to try to like bluff uh, uh, Cisco about something, and Cisco just goes, "Ha!" And but he, yep. he's got a completely blank face, and then all of a sudden his face just lights up in this huge smile, yep. and he whips his head around. Yeah, and then they cut so you can see the angle of him turning toward you again. Yep. Like it's there's there's great. some there's some editing happening there in his giant as well transforming living room. Yep. Oh, it is delightful. Oh god. So good. Yeah, so good. No. And this is this is I would say if I didn't know that one more incredibly fun episode was coming up, that this is the most fun episode that, that DS9 will ever do, but uh probably second most fun. Yeah. Uh, Trials. Oh yeah, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. Yeah. All Can't right. argue with that. Uh, and and with that, uh, actually, not going to do the spoiler section this time unless no, you guys think we need one. <laughs> we, we, we kept throwing spoilers in the actual episode. Yeah. No, we we kept it vague <laughs> little enough. Little ones, I think. little ones. And there's there's nothing really that ties into to any long running. No, we're not. So. The, neither of these are uh, yeah. are uh, big uh, story. No, next story. week will yeah. absolutely be, as Brian said, huge <sighs> episodes next Man. week. Man, really looking forward so to good. it. And Brock Peters as as uh, Cisco's dad, who I is. Like I say, one of my favorite supporting characters, mm. if not my favorite supporting character. Absolutely. Jeff, Jeff Sisko. Yep. I don't remember his actual name. No, I don't either. Papa Sisko. Is Papa Sisko. Yep. Uh, Rap so Peter time, Sisko. Time to do some plug-in. Brian, why don't you tell the people about your uh, the blog that almost made me cry today? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, the <laughs> my, uh, my blog, I actually have not updated much since the last time I was on because my job turned out to be insanely demanding. Uh... And then at the start of the summer, I had writer's block, but I watched Shrek the Musical four times in a week and uh, wrote a review of that. So I thought you said Trek the Musical. No, Shrek. Shrek the Musical. So it was either write a review of that or commit suicide. And so that got Mm. me back on track. It's all the DisneyMovies.blogspot.com. I am still well in the thick of Don Bluth, and uh, I did The Land Before Time today which I'm sure has inspired quite a few tears. I liked it a lot. Um, But there's a tragic backstory behind the scenes as well. uh, Yeah, there's a behind-the-scenes moment that I found out about while I was researching it, and I thought, if I have to feel this sad about it, then everybody does. And she's also in uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is going to be my next one. And if you're a regular reader of my my work, uh, then you'll know that uh, my one bizarre pet peeve is animals wearing clothing and having parallel societies to humans. Mm-hmm. So all dogs go to heaven is really going to wrinkle my mind. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. I have weird feelings about all dogs go to heaven. It's it's something special. <laughs> I actually realized this is a thing we have not mentioned on the show before. Matt has been regularly keeping a blog that some of you may be interested in. Matt, why don't oh, you plug yeah, yeah. your I thing? Do a, uh, I do a weekly column uh, updates every Wednesday called, uh, you can find it at uh, forbiddentointerfere.tumblr.com. Uh, I basically am working my way through every issue of Marvel's What If comics. That's you? Them. Yeah, that's yeah. Me. I didn't know that. I thought you'd just been retumbling it. I'm a huge fan. Apparently, nobody knew I wrote that. <laughs> I thought you were just that you had just found it and were telling. No, us no, about that's that's me. It's wonderful. I'm a tremendous oh, fan you. of it. It's, I, I really enjoy it. That that oh. three part Spider-Man one. What if somebody else got bitten by the spider? That was one of my favorite comics when I was a kid. That it's, was a goddamn cluster. So dumb. It's so awful, and I didn't realize. <laughs> spider no, Jameson, I've, really? <laughs> I've been watching this thing gradually, like get get attention get fans you know honestly my thing when anyone starts something is okay but are they going to write more than two of them that's why i didn't say anything about it right and that's why i didn't ask you to plug it but you've done like 10 of them now so i feel like 20 oh nice yeah so yeah you're definitely in a position now where even if you don't write anymore you have enough body of work that people could go check it out and uh if if you like what matt contributes to this show he does basically the same thing with old marvel comics Mm -hmm. so so check that out so yeah forbidden to interfere.tumblr.com it's great Thank you. Uh, and our info, as ever, postatomichorror at gmail. We will answer your mail on our next supplemental show between seasons. Postatomichorror.com, postatomichorror.tumblr.com. And with that, Matt, take us out. See you, folks. The Postatomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.